We are in part four today of the whole in our gospel. And today is kind of a follow-up in some sense to last week when we talked about going from people that, that uh, or we talked about dealing with the uh, propensity to be greedy by becoming people who are generous, to kind of counteract that with generosity. And uh, not too long ago, I heard this definition of greed or materialism. And it, it was this, buying things, greed or materialism is buying things you don't need with money that you don't have to impress people you don't even like. You know, it's, isn't it true? Sometimes it happens in our life, you know? Um, so uh, last week we talked about that, and then this week we're going to talk about just taking kind of the next step, uh, becoming someone who says, whose dream am I living for? Am I living for the American dream, or am I living for God's dream? And our challenge today is to look into our lives and really make an assessment of what we're living for. What drives us? What motivates us? Are we going to spend our life chasing a dream that won't make a difference in the long run? Or will we exchange our dream for God's dream and uh, live for a dream that has eternal ramifications, not just for our life, but the life of people around us? You know, living in the United States, it's easy to get roped into pursuing the American dream without even realizing it. Every culture has that. Every culture kind of has its dream or its values or its norms. And any culture that you're in, it's very easy to kind of get roped or pulled into that culture very quickly. Everyone, we, we think the American dream is this. The American dream is kind of, you know, work hard, earn enough money, whatever enough is. And that's kind of nebulous, you know. Uh, spend it on things that will make you happy, retire comfortably, and live out the rest of your days relaxing. Now, wouldn't that just be fantastic? if that could happen. We think that everybody deserves to live this way according to the American dream. And most of us get sucked into the pursuit of it without even being cognitive about it. It reminds me of a pilot that I heard of not too long ago. He just started flying commercial flights and on one of his first flight patterns he got lost. He was sensing that he needed to inform the passengers after a while and so he got on the intercom and he said this, I have good news and bad news. The bad news is that we're lost. The good news is we're making great time. Sometimes in the American dream, we feel like we're making great time, right? We're doing lots of things. We're moving along, but we're lost. And you can be that way in your life. You can be pursuing a dream and be totally lost, making great time going in the wrong direction. So today we want to talk about pursuing a dream that is God's dream. You know, pursuing a dream that's outside of God's dream, like I said earlier, is it, it, in every culture and every time it has happened. It's even addressed in the Bible. Jesus told of the parable in, in Matthew chapter 25. He told a parable about three servants who were pursuing different dreams. Two of them, the master's dream, one, their own dream, and what happened when that happened. Just listen to me as I read to you from Matthew chapter 25. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and he entrusted them with his money while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one and two bags of silver to another and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and he earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and he earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and he hid the master's money there. After a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I've earned five more. 
The master was full of praise. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. Now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. A servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. And the master said, Well done, good, faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so I'll give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops that you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Here is your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops that I didn't plant and gathered crops that I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. And then he ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. For from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken. Now throw this useless servant out into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Today we're going to learn how to cash in our dreams for our life, for God's dreams, so that we can take all the resources that he has entrusted to us, time, talent, treasure, relationships, and invest them in things that are eternal, that have eternal ramifications in our lives, and not waste them just on ourselves or on our short life that we have here on earth. So what can we learn about pursuing God's dream from this passage? Number one, pursuing God's dream requires consistently recalling who really owns it all. Consistently recalling who really owns it all. And I used both of those words there because I know that in order for us to cash in our dream for God's dream, it needs to be something we're constantly doing again and again and again and again and again and again because we live in this culture and we are so influenced by the culture in the American dream that we need to consistently be remembering and reminding that it is all God's. He really owns it all. Right there at the beginning of that parable in verses 14 and 15, it says that Jesus illustrates the kingdom of God by a man going on a long trip, calling together his servants and entrusting his resources to them in proportion to their abilities. Jesus begins this parable by saying, this is the big picture. So many times we're just moving along in life very rapidly in the wrong direction, being lost and just happy we're making good time, right? And Jesus says there's a bigger picture here. And the bigger picture is about the kingdom of God. You think that the way that you handle your resources maybe doesn't really matter, that maybe you don't have that many resources to handle anyhow, so it doesn't matter, so you just kind of move on. But there's a bigger picture. And so Jesus is saying, when it comes to your resources, step back and get the wide-angle view here. You've been too much caught up in the everyday movement of life. So step back and look at the big picture. He said the story illustrates what the, how the kingdom of heaven operates. He said it's like a man going on a long trip. The presumption is here is that the man or the master is Jesus. What have the disciples and the people been calling Jesus? Rabbi and also master. If you read through the Gospels again and again and again, they're calling Jesus master. And Jesus even says at one point, you call me master and Lord, so you must live the way that I live. You must do the things that I do. You must look at life the way that I look at life. If I'm the master and you're the follower. And so it's implied here that Jesus is the one who's going to be going away and then coming back again. And that he has entrusted 
all of his followers with his wealth, his resources, his relationships. There's no question who owned all of the money. The money belonged to the master, and everybody else in the story were simply caretakers while he was gone. And they were even taken care of, if you notice, while he was gone. They weren't told to take the money that they were entrusted to, even for their own care. As servants of that household, they would have been taken care of by the finances of that household. So they were well looked after, well taken care of during this whole time. And they were told to take these extra resources that the master was planting in them and invest them for things that were eternal. Having this perspective on our resources changes everything. When I say, it's not mine, it all belongs to the master, and I keep telling myself that, it changes my perspective. It's not mine, it all belongs to the master. I want you to practice saying that this morning. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and just say, it's not mine, it all belongs to the master. Some of you don't have someone next to you, turn to the people behind you and just say it. God owns it all is a theme that is reiterated over and over and over again in Scripture. Now, I heard a couple of you saying, yeah, and he told you to give it to me. That's not true. (laughs) But this is a theme that's reiterated again and again in Scripture. Two clear references from Scripture about God as the owner of everything. One is in Haggai 2.8. It says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. And in Psalm 24, 1, it makes it very clear. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So not only is everything God's, every person is God's. Everything is under his leadership and his command and under his ownership. In other words, everything that we are and have is on loan from God for a short amount of time. We're kind of in the kindergarten of life as far as eternity goes you know sometimes we think oh man this life is so long and not not according to eternity we're just kind of getting warmed up we're just getting trained for what eternity is going to be like because it says in the parable that the master comes back and then there's a celebration and then there's a joining together and a and a future partnership and that even more things are entrusted in eternity to those who follow the lead of the master and say it's all his Just a little bit of his on loan to me. And God distributes his wealth as he sees fit. We're not entitled to a single thing, but God hands it out as he sees fit. And so there's a second truth here, and it's this. I should be thankful and responsible for what God has entrusted to me. I should be thankful and responsible for what God has trusted to me. Go ahead, move around a little bit again, and just say that to somebody next to you. I should be thankful and responsible. Say it out loud. For what God's entrusted to me. I find it interesting that each one of these is given a different amount of money. Or different amount of coins in their bag. Different amounts of bags. But even the one who was only given the one bag would have been given more than enough. To sustain them and to be invested over the life of the journey. Now in that time, 
Masters would leave. Masters of great estate would leave and leave their servants in charge. They would say, you're going to be taken care of. You're going to be fed well, taken care of, housed while I'm gone. But I want you to take my money, my capital, and I want you to invest it while I'm gone. And I don't want you to just put it in the bank in CDs, okay? I want this to multiply, all right? And uh, so it was a very common thing that happened. So what Jesus is referring to, they would have understood this was a good master. This was a master who didn't say, and by the way, you're going to have to live off of some of that income too. No, he said, no, no, all of your living arrangements are taken care of as my servant. But I want you to take this and invest it in things that are eternal. In some sense, God is letting us know through the person of Jesus Christ that we're God's financial managers. We need to remember that it, he owns it all and that we need to be thankful and consistent in how we invest it for him and what returns we win for him. You know, if you and I went to a financial planner and we gave him our money for, let's say, 20 years or so, and uh, we kept sending the checks in or our, our our company sent them in, and then we matched it, and we kind of told them what we wanted, and they sent us the charts and the graphs and the end-of-the-year reports, and we got all that kind of stuff. But then at the end of 20 years, we went in and said, hey, it's time to retire. I'd like to look at my portfolio. And he said, just hold on for just a minute. He went back into the back room. He comes out with a, a dusty coffee can, blows off the top, pops the lid, and says, here you go. You're like, wait a minute. What about the charts and the graphs and all the pretty things and the reports that I got? And he goes, well, you know, those things seem kind of risky. You seem like a person that might be, you know, really holding me accountable. For. I just wanted to make sure you got back what was rightfully yours. So I just stuck it in this coffee can for 20 years. Here it is back. Now, you would have one of two reactions, maybe both. One of them was you would fire that person, right? The other, person, the other thing that you would do is try to hug them around the neck as tightly as possible. Because you had made great plans based on that investment, correct? And that's what Jesus, that's the picture he gives us here of him. It's like, wait a minute. When I invest in you, I expect you to invest in the things that matter to me, that matter to the master. I have an expectation that you'll take what I've entrusted to you, to take care of yourself, to take care of your family, and to look out for God's kingdom and build his kingdom in this world. This is precisely why the master was so upset when the one servant had really squandered this opportunity to invest for his kingdom. So it only makes sense that if you and I are God's financial managers, that we should get some training in that, right? At Daybreak Church, we have a training course for you in financial management. It's called Financial Peace University. It's a nine-week course that helps you learn how to pay off debt, teaches you how to have a savings account, teaches you how to give like never before, teaches you uh, things about borrowing and investing. It's a nine-week great concentrated course. And there are certain times in life where we have to step up to the plate and learn new patterns for ourselves, right? There are certain times in our life where we hear God saying inside of us as his followers, it's time. It's time to take this course. It's time to change this pattern. It's time to do something new. It's time to develop and grow in my soul. And how we handle our resources is a matter of discipleship. It's a matter of us growing and learning and getting under the leadership of the master so he can influence us and help us to walk in this life in this way and invest in what matters the most. FPU is great because when you leave the course 
You leave with a group of friends that you've met who will encourage you to keep going. It's great because it leaves you with the same resources. You get all the CDs that you can load onto your iTunes. And if you're like me, when you go to the gym, you can just do a little checkup on your iTunes and play one of those again and then talk to a friend about it again. You can review the process of how to put together a cash flow plan, how to begin to pay off the debt that you have, how to begin to give to God's kingdom like maybe you've never before. One of the things that that, uh, I was challenged with in, in, uh, in taking financial peace myself was this phrase that kept coming back to the book and some of the videos. And it was like, what if the people of God were debt free? What could they do for the kingdom of God? If they were debt free, I thought, wow, what if I was debt free? What could I do for the kingdom of God? You know? And so it's a matter of growing in the Lord. It's not a matter of just doing the right things, it's a matter of getting to know the Master and taking nine weeks to hide yourself in God, to learn from Him, to gain some new friends. I want you to go ahead and watch this short clip of Dave Ramsey, who has put together Financial Peace University. He's one of the teachers on the videos that we watch. Let's watch Dave Ramsey as he introduces to us Financial Peace University. Financial peace. We all want it. For a while, I didn't have it. 20 years ago, I hit rock bottom. I lost just about everything. I turned to God for help, and I learned how to handle money His way. As you can imagine, it worked. That's why I started Financial Peace University, because God's ways work. Whether you're in over your head or you're doing okay right now, if you bring home $10,000 or $10 million, if you're 21 or 61, we all need a plan. Millions of people have been through Financial Peace University. They have success stories of their own. They've learned how to get rid of debt, prepare for generations to come, and give like crazy. Your success story, your financial peace is up to you. Now is your time. It's time to take control of your money. It's time to get ready for what God has for you. It's time for financial peace. If you're like me, Christmas is coming, New Year's is coming, and you'll mean to take that course and you'll forget by the time January comes around. If you want to have a registration reminder, us just to send you a little email that prods you when the new year starts. Hey, sign up for financial peace. All you got to do is on the back of your card today, write RR for registration reminder and write FPU. And after the beginning of the year, we'll just write you a kind reminder. This is when the course is. This is how to register. Sign up and we'll let it up to you. It's up to you for your own growth, for you to sign up in your own discipleship to grow in that way. The second thing that we can learn from this parable about pursuing God's dream and cashing in our dream or the American dream for God's dream is this. Pursuing God's dream requires intentionally investing in what matters most. Intentionally investing in what matters most. It says in the parable that the one who received five bags of silver began to invest the money, earned five more. The servant with two invested two more. And the first two servants went right to work investing the money and the resources they'd been given for the master. But it says that the third one did something really counter to the other two, diametrically opposed. It says he took 
what he was given, and he actually dug a hole, and he just hid it in the ground. Why would they have reacted so differently? I have to ask myself, when I read the story, when I read the parable, like, that's a pretty drastic difference. What's the point? Why react so differently to the master? And then I found the answer in verses 24 and 25 as I studied the story over and over again, asking that question. It says this, Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, harvesting crops where you didn't plant and gathering crops where you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is all of your money back. The first two trusted the character of the master. They knew that they were well taken care of. They knew that they were a servant in his household and that he was looking after them and he was actually honoring them by entrusting them with resources, time, talent, treasure, relationships that were his. The third one makes an allegation that the master is harsh and stingy and actually tries to win money or get things by not even making an investment himself. That he's too hard on his servants. You know, the same is true of us. When we build a trusting, life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ and God, we trust him and we get right to work investing all that he has. But the, the, the converse of that is true too. If we don't trust him, if we look at God as a harsh taskmaster, as someone who is hard on his servants and hard on me, as someone who always looks to treat others better than me. They always get five bags and three bags, and I'm a one-bag person, and so I resent God. When we treat God that way, we will not invest on the things that are important to Him because we don't know Him, and we don't know His heart. The third truth that we learn from this parable is this. When I build a trusting relationship with God, a trusting relationship, I intentionally invest in the things that are important to Him because now... They become important to me. When I hang out with God, when I get to know God, when I give my heart and my mind and my soul to God, when I give what I have considered my resources back to God, now knowing they're His resources, and I really get to know Him, I'll invest in a way that makes an eternal difference. I won't bury the resources entrusted to me in the ground because I'm resenting God. I can imagine that the people who were hearing this story, and most of them were not five-baggers or three-baggers. They were at best a one-bagger. A lot of them were people of meager means. It's interesting to me that Jesus says to them, and what, what he's getting at is, is the one that he picks to mismanage is the one that's receiving the least. The person who could say, well, in comparison to the three-bagger and the five-bagger, man, the master's really ripping me off. He's really not looking out for him. As a matter of fact, he even says to the servants, man, the master's so harsh. The master looks to, to reap where he hasn't sown. I resent him, so I'm just going to bury it in the ground. And when he returns, I'm kind of, in a snide way, going to hand it right back to him. That's someone who doesn't know the master, doesn't know the heart of God and the goodness of God. The first two did, but the third one did not. You know, there have been times in my life where I've been that person who reacts kind of like the one-bagger guy. I resent God. I want more from God. I look at other friends and family, and 
I look at other people, and I look at other pastors, and I look at other dads, and I look at other husbands, and I say, man, why couldn't I get three bags? Or why couldn't I get five? Lord, if I just had five bags, I would really invest for your kingdom. Lord, if I just had three bags, I'd really invest for your kingdom. And the truth is, God says, what are you going to do with what you've got? Stop comparing yourself to others. The Apostle Paul says in the book of Corinthians, to compare ourselves to others is stupidity because it keeps us frozen in time. When I look at my one bag and all I'm doing is comparing to the three bag or the five bag person, it builds resentment in my soul. It paralyzes me because I don't need to move on. But when I say, God, you've given me this one bag or this three or this five bag, however he has decided to allot it, and I give it back to him, I'm free to walk in a relationship with him. And I'm taking care of what I've got. You know, even as small children, from small children on up, we're used to that, aren't we? We're used to this kind of idea of, I need more, or I want more, or just give me just a little bit more, right? We do that with our parents growing up as kids. We tell our kids that all the time. Now, now, don't you be concerned about what your sister got. You just be concerned about what you got. and take Right? We, do, we give that lecture over and over and over again. But we're kind of the same way. As the children of God, we forget. I remember when I was a kid, we used to go to this place in Lewistown called the Royal Dairy. And they made their own milk, milkshakes, and they were great. And uh, we would go there about, probably about once a month. We could afford to go to the Royal Dairy. There was five kids in our family and get milkshakes. And uh, so my dad would, you know, traipse us in there on a Friday night, and, and I, I like chocolate malt milkshakes. And my sister didn't like malt in her milkshake, and we always had to split one because we were the youngest of the five. The last two, about two years of difference. And I, ne- man, she never wanted the malt in it, and I couldn't talk the guy at the counter into putting malt in just half. Can you split it and then put some malt in mine? And I just couldn't quite get him to do that. And so I used to just kind of bug my dad and drop all these little unsubtle hints that maybe I was big enough now to drink my own milkshake. I think my dad just, you know, to teach me a lesson one Friday night, he let me just drink a whole milkshake before I could handle it. And so he let me get the chocolate malted milkshake. I chugged that thing down. We got outside the Royal Dairy, and it wasn't, I enjoyed that milkshake for about five to seven minutes. And then everything that went down came back up outside the Royal Dairy. I couldn't handle it. There's so many times that we tell God, God, give me more. And God says, you can't handle it right now. I know what you can handle right now. Be be good with what I've entrusted to you relationally. Be good with what I've entrusted you financially. Be good with what I've entrusted you. Oh, God, but if you would give me more. No, no, just do with what you've got. Give that back to me. Walk with me and learn how to trust me with what I've entrusted to you. Not long ago, I was studying to write a paper on spiritual development and write out this spiritual development plan for my own soul. And I came across this quote, I shared it with you a couple of weeks ago, from Dallas Willard, who's written numerous books on spiritual development. One of them is called The Spirit of the Disciplines. He wrote in his book, It is every Christ follower's responsibility to carve out a satisfying life under the loving rule of God, or else sin will start to look good. Wow, that quote hit me right between the eyes. I have it right on my desk. I keep looking at it over and over again. I'm like, wow, how many times do I do that? When I don't carve out a satisfying life 
under the loving rule of God. I'm like the first bad guy when I don't do that. I just look at God and I resent him. But when I'm a three or a five bagger, I carve out a life with God under his loving rule. It's up to him and all that I've needed, his hand has provided. Then I can sing, great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto me. But when I'm over here and I'm not carving out that life and that intimacy with God, I resent him and I want more and more. Do you have a plan that carves out time under the loving rule of God in this year to come? The new year's coming. I had to write a paper and 20 pages of carving out this plan and turn it in. After I turned it in, I, I said to the, the professor, I'm not sure I can actually pull this off. Dot. You know what happens? Is you write out this plan and you're like, yeah, I want to do this. And, and every, every quarter I'm going to go into a spiritual retreat. And once a month I'm going to take a day for prayer and fasting for a whole day. And once a week I'm going to do this and that and the other thing. But you don't look at what you need to lop off in order to add that on. And what God says is whatever you need to lop off is well worth it. To add on time to me. To get to know me. Because God doesn't want us just to read his word and follow rules. He wants us to follow him and his heart we're not here today to preach a message trying to get you to give a certain way or get you to save a certain way or get you to do certain things with your finances a certain way no this message is about getting you under the loving rule of god hearing his voice walking with him being on a life-changing journey with jesus christ and when we do that we'll invest in the right things in our journey class, we do that. We help you to put together a thumbnail plan at the end of our journey class. Our journey class is about seeing church membership in a whole different light. About seeing it in the light of you're on a developmental journey and so am I. And how can we as a church family, church members, grow together? And so we go over our vision and we go over our mission and, and we tell you about all the ministries in our church. And we take you through the seven pathways of emotionally healthy spirituality during that course. But then at the end of the course, we sit down with you for an hour and we do an hour coaching session where you put together a thumbnail plan about your development as someone who's carving out time under the loving rule of God in your life to follow him. Because that's what church membership is really about. It's not about having your name on a roll or getting to vote at certain meetings or not. It's about carving out your life together with others under the loving rule of God and walking with him. And maybe it's time for you to do that. Maybe you need a registration reminder after the beginning of the year. You can just write RR Journey Class on the back of your card today. And we'll remind you after the beginning of the year, hey, this is when Journey Class starts. Take the time to do it. Some of you are saying, well, I'm already a member, but do you have a plan to grow? Maybe you're already a member, but you need to go back and take that Journey Class and get a thumbnail plan for you to grow under the loving rule of God in your life this coming year. We'd love to do that with you. I want to summarize that we've learned three key truths from this parable, okay? We've had two points, but three key truths. And the first point we learned, it's not mine. It all belongs to the master. And the first point we learned this one too. I should be thankful and responsible for what God has entrusted to me. And then the second point we learned, when I build a trusting relationship with God, I intentionally invest in the things that are important to him because now they're important to me. The truth is, when we get to know the master, we will invest his resources as he would in things of eternal value. When that happens, we get to share in his joy and celebrate changed lives with him. 
The first two servants had something to show for their investment, and the master praised them. He said, the master was full of praise. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've, you've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities that celebrate together. Don't miss that. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Well, I thought the whole thing was over with. I thought the master had returned. Now everything's done. This is the conclusion to the story. But that's not the way Jesus tells it. He's basically saying to us, on my second advent to this earth, on my second return, it's just the beginning of the story. You've just been in kindergarten all these years, getting ready for eternity. And eternity isn't about sitting on clouds playing harps. Some of you who are musical, God bless you. You do that for eternity. I'm going to be on an adventure with God. It says in the book of Revelation, in the Bible, there is a new heaven and a new earth and that there are things to do, and there's a kingdom to be built for God. And I want to be part of that. I want to be part of someone who says, even if I'm just a one-bagger, I want God to say to me, well done with your one bag. Here's what you get to do now in eternity with me, in paradise, in this beautiful, perfect place. I remember hearing not too long ago an interview with Pastor Billy Graham. How many of you know who Billy Graham is? One of the greatest evangelists that ever lived, traveled the world has led hundreds of thousands, probably millions of people to Christ. Billy Graham was asked, what do you think heaven is like someday? What will eternity be like? And this was his reply, basically, was this. I hope that when I get to heaven someday, that they tell me there are other planets where there are people who don't know about Christ, and they send me there to preach the gospel to them. Why did he say that? Because in this life, he had carved out a loving role of God. He learned it. One of the resources that he was given was to be able to preach the good news and help people come into a rich relationship with God. And he so enjoyed his relationship with God, being and doing, that he wanted to do that in eternity. He didn't want to get to eternity and retire from being an evangelist because that's who he was. It isn't just what he does. It's who he is. Someone who preaches and teaches and shares the good news. Someone who's part of God's kingdom for eternity. You know, sometimes I have kind of dreams and visions of what it might be like to be in the new heaven and the new earth. I know I probably think about that a little bit too much sometimes, but I think about that and think about being on that adventure with God. And when I do, it helps me to remember, oh, he owns it all. I should be thankful and grateful. And I need to keep developing this trust relationship so I invest wisely in the people he's given to me, the finances he's given to me, the time he's given me, the talents he's given me. I need to keep investing them for his kingdom forever. At daybreak, we say that God's dream looks like this. That God's dream is about helping people discover a life-changing journey with Jesus, celebrating his grace, connecting with his family, and contributing to his work. And when we say that, we're talking about celebrating his grace we're talking about when we come together corporately we celebrate his grace but then privately and during the week we celebrate his grace and we take time to steal away and be with him and connecting with god's family we're talking about having uh, small group relationships in a spiritual family where we belong where we meet in small group but we also meet with people individually and we build our lives together as god's family to keep us on that life-changing journey with jesus and then contributing to god's work we're talking about being on a ministry and a mission team and contributing financially to our church family to keep us going and to keep us growing and being on that life-changing journey with jesus christ 
The end product of that is that we cycle back to helping people discover a life-changing journey. And so the question remains, what will you invest in for eternity? Will you take what God's given you and just bury it in the ground to hand it back to him someday in almost embarrassment? Or will you take what he's given you and invest it eternally? Invest in people. Invest financially. Invest in relationships. Invest your talents and your time in God and what's important to him and bringing his kingdom from heaven to earth. In just a few moments, you're going to witness a few people who, due to the ministry of Daybreak Church, your church, have discovered that life-changing journey with Jesus Christ. They're embarking on this journey, and they're making a public acknowledgement of their personal faith by being baptized today. What's happening today is an outward sign of an inward transformation that's taken place in their life. I know that many of you want to applaud them today, so I ask you to do that. When they come up out of the waters of baptism, let them know that the Father in heaven is applauding them. Join his applause. Cat call. Whistle. We had a small group one time that brought party hats and those little, you know, whistles that kind of go out and retract. Whatever you need to do to say, good choice, way to follow God, exchange your dream for his dream continually. Keep walking with him. Do that today. I'm going to pray and then we're going to watch their testimonies on video and then you're going to watch the baptisms. As we do that, let God keep speaking to you about whose dreams you're living for. Let's talk to God together in prayer. Lord, I thank you for the people that are getting baptized today, that are sharing their story, that are taking the courage to stand up and say, I'm going to be different. I'm going to walk with God. I'm not going to take the, the bags of riches that he's placed into my heart, into my life, and even into my bank account and spend them just on me. No, I'm going to invest them for eternity. I'm going to be an investment in eternity. Lord, bless them today as they're in the waters of baptism. Bless them and anoint them and seal them, God, in you. And help us to be an encouragement to them. Help us as a church family to walk together, pursuing your dream, exchanging our dream for yours, and investing in things that matter most, things that are eternal. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, I'd like to be baptized because um, I've come through a real season of um, just a lot of fear and struggle. Um, God used a really difficult time in my life to show me that um, I've really been trying to earn his favor um, and earn the favor of other, of other people. Um, and so he really had to kind of bring me to my knees um, in his grace um, to, to show me that I don't have to do anything. Um, and that I can live without fear. Um, so, so I want to just proclaim that um, to my church family and, and to my friends and family as well. Yeah, I'm just really excited for this opportunity. Um, I never thought that I would be getting baptized as an adult, um, but when <laughs> in journey class, when uh, God was just really like putting it on my heart to pray about it, and I asked him like, why do you want me to do this? And he said, well, why wouldn't you? <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I'm just really excited. I want to be baptized because I want to show everybody that I'm a Christ follower. I want to be baptized to have a fresh new start, new beginnings with God. 
Um, I want to be baptized and, and to become a true believer in Christ and um, to turn my life over to Him. In September of 2010, I suffered a abdominal aortic aneurysm. Uh, I was rushed to the hospital. Uh, during that, sometime during that week, I did die. But I heard this voice telling me that we are not ready for you to go back. And it was a short time later, I think, that um, I came to. Uh, I did talk to my wife when I awoke, and I found out that I was unconscious for eight days. There was some time in that time period there I did die. Uh, they gave me a 5% chance of living. And I feel that I need to turn my life over to Christ. I want to be baptized because it tells everybody that um, you're a Christian and that you believe in Jesus. I want to be baptized because I want to show everybody that I love God. I want to be baptized because I've been a Christian and have believed in salvation from Jesus Christ for quite a while, but uh, there hasn't been like a defining moment where I said, oh, I want to get baptized right now because whatever reason. Uh, I see it as a way of affirming what I already know about my relationship with Jesus Christ and uh, really inviting the Holy Spirit into my life in a public way so that I can then go out and make a greater change for Jesus' glory. I want to be baptized because going into freshman year, it was just like, I want to be more open with my spirituality and be able to talk to my friends about it instead of being so closed-minded. And I want to pursue God like you would pursue a dream of yours. It's like the what the high schoolers just finished the series, uh, In Pursuit of God. So. I feel I am committed to Christ. Uh, for me, being baptized is for, uh, another step uh, to moving towards Christ and just to get that further connection and let everybody know that I am being baptized and I want to make that move. Jesus has changed my life a lot uh, more recently, but also over the summer. Um, last year, I was get angry a lot. I've been trying to change that. I'm a lot nicer generally to people, to everyone, and uh, I don't get as angry or frustrated as easy as I used to, and I'm also reading, I like reading the Bible now, I mean, I read, I've read the Bible before, but not as often as I do now, now I do at least one devotional like every night, and uh, small groups has also helped us with that, because we do series and things like that, so. Well, I guess it all started with my grandmother. I only knew her for eight years. Um, she's pretty much who brought Jesus into my life. I just want to show that commitment. I guess I, I definitely put my trust in Christ and I want to follow him forever. <laughs> yes. I want to be baptized because I love Jesus. Like, I want to be a 
Jesus person and like to um to like um walk with Jesus and like um and to I think that's all I wanted to say. Through your mercy. 